You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. So today's reading is going to be from Malachi 1, 2 through 5. The Lord's love for Israel. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste on his hillside, on his hill country, and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may rebuild, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for our gathering today, for our congregation, for our prayers that we're able to uh, lift up to you today. This world can be a very dark and lonely and sad place, but we're so joyful and thankful that you've already overcome it all. So please, Lord, give peace to us while we wait for your return and give, give Andrew the wisdom and, and just the words to say today to bring you to us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Thank you for that, uh, Darcy. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about God's love and trust and how those things um, kind of work together. But to kind of uh, get our minds starting in that direction, I wanted to ask you guys if you ever have a hard time receiving love. Anybody ever have a hard time receiving love? Or do you have somebody in your life that you love, and they have a hard time receiving your love? Um, The reason for that, or at least in part, is because love includes or it involves trust. Right? And sometimes, uh, some of us, I know some of our stories, right, we have been so mistreated by people that we ought to have been able to trust that it's hard for us to receive love from other people. Um, this past week, uh, Sarah and I celebrated our 20th an- wedding anniversary. We've been, we've been boyfriend and girlfriend, though, for 26 years, right? <laughs> and um, one of the things that has come along is that we have learned to trust one another and learn to give love and, and receive love. But that, but that can be difficult, um, especially Sarah. Part of her story, and she gave me permission to share this, was that she was abandoned by her biological father when she was, when she was a young girl. Right? And so that's somebody she should have been able to trust. Right? <clears throat> and so early on, uh, especially in our relationship, uh, like when I would say things like, I love you, she would kind of be like, uh, okay, you know? And the reason for that was like, well, let's just see, like, if you stick around, right? And 20 years later, right? It's like, I'm still here, 26 late, you know, I'm still here. And so now she's able to trust me a little bit more. She's able to receive more of my love. And that's kind of how love and trust works together. And when you think about our relationship with God, right, the Bible is clear that God keeps his covenant with his people, right? He, his love for his people is secure and steadfast, 
right? But the problem is, is that sometimes we don't quite trust that. We're not totally able to receive his love. We have the right doctrinal statement that talks about his trustworthiness, all that kind of stuff. But deep in our heart, because of whatever past we bring, you know, whatever story we have, whatever circumstances we've gone through, we have a little bit of a hard time actually trusting in God and therefore receiving his love. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we look at this passage in Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. Now, last week we introduced ourselves to the book of Malachi. And one of the things that we talked about was that Malachi is kind of organized around these six disputes, right? Like this going back and forth between God and the people of God. And within those disputes, there's these claims that God makes and then defends, but then they are disputed by the people of God. And it goes kind of back and forth. But the claim that we're going to be looking at today that God makes and then defends is, I love you. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about God's love today. And in our passage, we're going to see that God's love is declared by Yahweh. That's our first point. That God's love is disputed by his people. Like, I don't know about that, is what they say. And then God's love is defended in a pretty interesting way that maybe we're not used to. And then we're going to see how God's love is eventually celebrated by his people, or, or it will be. So let's first talk about how God's love is declared in our passage. Beginning again in verse 2, it says, I have loved you, says the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. So what did we say last week that that means? We're talking about Yahweh, right? In the Bible, in the Old Testament, there are two primary names for God. One is Elohim. We translate that God. And usually when we're using the word Elohim in the Bible, we're talking about his uh, a power, how he's a powerful creator. So that's one name, Elohim. But the Old Testament also refers to God as Yahweh. And when the Bible talks about God as Yahweh, we're talking about God's personal covenant name for his people. And we translate that Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Now, when Moses, he asked uh, God, you know, God is send, was sending Moses to the people of Israel to tell them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one who God uses to liberate you out of your slavery in Egypt. And then remember, Moses asks, well, who shall I say sent me? Right? And this is, this is God's answer from Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. God said, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So not just, not just any generic abstract idea of God, the God who had a covenant relationship with your ancestors. That, that's the God we're talking about. We're talking about Yahweh. So when you think about that relative to what we're looking at here in Malachi, part of what uh, uh, Yahweh is saying my, my love is coming to my people with whom I have a covenant with, right? It's a certain kind of love. It is a covenant love. And we'll see this as a theme throughout the book of Malachi. Now, last week when we, we, we talked a little bit about the idea of a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship is one that is based on promises with the expectation for loyalty or fidelity, right? So Sarah 
Like marriage is a type of covenant, right? So Sarah expects that I would remain faithful and loyal to her, and I expect the same for, for her, and that makes a covenant relationship of marriage. And what we find in the Bible with regard to God and his people is that that is oftentimes, this is not the only analogy that is used, but that's oftentimes understood to be a marriage covenant, right? That Yahweh is married to his people. Even when God talks about, look, one day there's going to be a new covenant. Even the picture of marriage is found there in Jeremiah 31, for example. And you see this idea throughout the Bible. Hosea comes into play. And in Hosea, because the picture is Yahweh's marriage with his covenant people, it talks about sin and idolatry in what kind of way? It refers to it as adultery. Right? That, 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 so this is all coming into play into how Malachi is, is talking to his people here. So when Malachi says, I have loved you, he, he means that in a certain way. He means, I have been and I will keep my covenant with you. I'll keep the vows that I made to you as my, as my wife. When, he, when I delivered you out of Egypt and I told you, I will be your God and you will be my people, I meant that and I will keep my covenant. And, and God says the same thing to us. Those of us who are united to Jesus by faith, we have entered into a new covenant relationship with God because Jesus purchased us with his blood and we became his bride, right? And Jesus promises, right, to remain faithful to us. But the, promise, the, the problem with us is, is that we don't always believe it. And so we dispute God on this point. That brings us to our second point. God's love is disputed. Beginning again uh, in verse 2, our passage says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Now, the, the tone here is not like curiosity, like, oh, yeah, let me, yeah, oh, I didn't know about this. Tell me about this. It's more um, like distrust and skepticism. Like, really? I don't know if I can believe that. Um, now, why would Israel have a hard time believing that God loved them? Why would they doubt that? Well, what did we say last week? Malachi is written to a group of people who God has brought back from their captivity to Babylon, right? Because Cyrus, the king of Persia, he liberated them, and then he sent them back to Jerusalem with the edict that said they could rebuild the temple, right? But their return to Jerusalem wasn't exactly what they expected, because right, you, you read through the prophets, and you read about the restoration of Israel, and it's like this golden era, like, opens up under a Messiah, and everything is, like, the, the treasures of the nations are coming into, like, all this stuff is happening, but what was their experience? They're still under foreign rule. Like, they went from Babylon to Persia, and it seems like Persia's a little better than Babylon, but nevertheless, they're still under a, 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 a foreign rule. Like, they, they face all kinds of hardships when they're in the land? Do you think the surrounding nations are happy about them being back in the land? No, they're, they're not happy about that. Especially Samaria is not happy about them being back in the land and rebuilding things. They, they send letters to the kings and all this kind of stuff. It gets really hairy there for a minute, right? So there's opposition from, from without, but also from within there's trouble. There's lots of injustice in the land, this type of thing. There's a famine because 
pestilence is like overtaking their crops. They have financial burdens because of this. And even after they rebuild the temple, the first thing that especially the older generation notices is that, well, it's not quite as impressive as the first temple. Right? Haggai 2.3 talks about that. And so what we find in Malachi, by the time you get to that time in, the, in Israel's history, is, yeah, they're back in the land, but Jerusalem and Judah has been reduced to this very small, vulnerable, impoverished province on, on the fringes of this vast Persian empire. Right? And they look around at their circumstances and say, is this... Is this the golden era that the prophets talked about? Is this what your love looks like, Yahweh? Right. And we can doubt God's love in the same way. When we look around and we, and we begin to question how things are being run, like our own like personal lives, for example. Maybe you're sitting here today and you thought you'd be maybe farther along in your life farther along in your education, farther along in your career. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're, you've just come out of a failed marriage and you didn't expect that to happen. Or maybe you're still single and you thought that by now you'd be, you'd be married. Maybe you're estranged from certain family members or you had loved ones pass away and, and you you think, Yahweh, is this what your love looks like for me? And we can begin to question how God runs our life. Or, or, or when we look around the world, right, and, and we think about what we were praying about earlier, like a shooter can come into a school and, and kill children? It, Yahweh, is this, is this what your love looks like? Because from our, our limited perspective, man, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like, like a loving God is running the world sometimes. Right? And I want to emphasize limited perspective. Because when you think about how old you are in relationship to the, the age of the universe, regardless of how you answer that question, or if you think about how big you are, in relationship to Stanislaus County, California, the United States, the world, the solar system, the universe. Are we really in a position to be able to judge? You know, when you, when you think about it in relationship to an infinite, all-wise God, to judge whether or not he's ruling the world right. But if we're honest, and I think God wants us to be honest, right? if we're honest, we wonder, right? is, is God running the world right? Is he good? Is he a loving God? God, do you, you how have you loved us? Right? Now, what's interesting about Yahweh in this passage, when the people of God make, you know, dispute his love, Yahweh doesn't just give up on that. He, he doesn't just say, well, I said that. I mean, look at the words I said. No, he, he gives them evidence. Right? And this brings us to our third point. God's love defended. Going back to verse 2, it says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, 
How have you loved us? Is not Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Or uh, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Now, when you, in the Bible, when you see jackals, there's a, not for us, but in the mind of the people reading the Old Testament, you hear jackals, you hear desert. That's when God brings his judgment on a, on a location. When God brings judgment, when God creates something, let's start there. He orders it and he fills it and he makes it conducive for human life. That's what God does when he creates something. But when he judges something, he does the reverse. He makes it uninhabitable, like a desert. Like the only thing you're going to find around here is a jackal, right? So he's made Edom, right? And we'll talk about this in a second, who that's a reference to. He's made that area like a wasteland. It's a ghost town now, right? And he's reminding them of this. Then in verse 4, if Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts, right? This, the way to understand this is Yahweh of the heavenly armies says, they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country. So this is going to be their reputation from now on. They'll be called, people here. oh, Edom, oh, the wicked country. <clears throat> and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. That's like their title, right? They are the cursed people. Now, to understand exactly what's going on here, we have to know a little bit about the history of the relationship between Israel, the descendants of Jacob, and we know, have to know a little bit about Edom, the descendants of Esau, right? For their entire history, these two people groups have been at, you know, they've been in conflict with one another, right? So much so that... Um, they were never allies, never once in their history. And Edom became sort of like this word to represent prideful humanity who stand opposed to the people of God. You can see that dotted throughout the Old Testament as well, like in Isaiah chapter 34. It's not a coincidence, by the way, that Edom has the same consonants as Adam, right? So humanity and Edom, like when, yet in, in Hebrew, all the, voil, the vowels are like little dots and dashes. You barely notice that. All the consonants are the big things that you see. And they look exactly the same. Adam and Edom look exactly, exactly the same. And so Edom came to represent sinful, prideful humanity. That's kind of like what their, what their name, even in Amos chapter 9, it seems to indicate that. So where does this all come from? Right Now you could probably trace it back to Genesis chapter 3, where there is foretold to be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the what? Seed of the serpent, all, all the way back there. But at least starts back in the womb of Rebekah, the wife of Isaac. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 22, talking about Jacob and Esau. Remember, Jacob, uh, his descendants are Israel. His name is changed to Israel, actually. And Esau, his descendants are Edom. So these are how these names work together. Right? And it says in Genesis chapter 25, verse 22, that, that Jacob and Esau, who were twins inside Rebekah, they struggled together within her. And then in the very next verse, Yahweh explains to Rebekah this. He says, regarding what's in her womb, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. 
talking about Israel and Edom. Now, as adults, did they get along as adults? No, right? Esau came to hate Jacob, and he even desired to kill Jacob because Isaac, his father, gave the blessing to Jacob, even though Esau was the elder brother. Now, did um, Jacob do that in an upright, just way? No. So Jacob's a scoundrel too. Keep that in mind. Jacob's a scoundrel. Edom is known as sinful humanity. So it's like these guys, you know, but they're, they're at enmity with one another. Like there's this fight that's happening. Now, if you fast forward in history, right, and you get to the moment where Israel is delivered out of Egypt, right, and then they're making their way to the promised land. To get there, they have to go through an area that has been occupied by the descendants of Esau called Edom. And so they talk to the king of Edom, and they say, hey, can we pass through here? That's the quickest route to where we're going. We won't touch any of your animals. We won't touch your water. We won't, we won't cause any trouble whatsoever. Can we just pass through? And the king of Edom said what? No, you can't. Right? So they have to go all the way around. You know what I mean? And so that's in Numbers chapter 20. So that's more like enmity between these two groups. And then, just to top it all off, and this is, this is kind of like the straw that breaks the camel's back. When Babylon came into Jerusalem and invaded Jerusalem, right, Edom is right there. Right? They could help, but instead of helping, they, they just stood by. And not only did they stand by, they waited till everything was in a ruckus, and then they looted Jerusalem. They gloated over Israel's defeat. Then they captured the refugees of Jerusalem, and then they killed some of them. Right? Now, in response to that, the prophets Jeremiah, the prophets Ezekiel, especially Obadiah, they pronounce a judgment on, on Edom, right? That, that, that they're not going to ever... It's interesting, when you think about Israel, Jacob and Esau, is one a scoundrel and one not? No, they're both wicked. They do wicked stuff, right? You think about Edom and Israel... Is one like super righteous and the other not? No, they, they both do unrighteous stuff. So what's the difference? Like, well, here's the difference. Israel is brought back and restored to the land and Edom is not. That's the difference. And, and we'll talk a little bit about, more about this. What does it say in verse four? If Edom says, remember, they're supposed to represent sinful humanity. We, sh we are shattered because right? God's judgment has come upon them, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may rebuild, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. So let's think about that. It's a very interesting answer to give, right, uh, relative to the question that is being asked. How have you loved us? Right? And Yahweh said, look, I have kept my covenant with you, you are my bride, and I have stood against your enemy, the Edomites. And by the way, I chose you not because of anything that you give back to me, but out of my own sovereign will and choice, I have set my love on you and have decided that I will keep my covenant with you forever. 
You can read about God's choice to, lo- uh, to love uh, Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And there, beginning in the latter part of verse 6, it says, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. We're going to see that come into play a little bit later in when we get to Malachi chapter 3, verse 17. The same kind of language is used, right? Because Deuteronomy 7, and a lot of passages in Deuteronomy, stand behind what Malachi is writing. But I'll continue. Out of all the people who are on the face of the earth, like you're going to be my treasured possession, out of all the people of the face of the earth, because you are so lovable, That's not what it says. It's at verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. I keep my covenant promises. That's what God's saying. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Then verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. So what Yahweh is, he's doing in Malachi is he's just reiterating what he said in in Deuteronomy chapter 7 in a different context. He's saying, you're my covenant people. I chose you, right? Not because you're so lovable or because anything that you can give me because I decided to set my love upon you. And so I stand opposed to anybody who's opposed to me and anyone who is opposed to my relationship with you, right? As a good husband should, Right, does a good husband just watch as his wife gets beat up by somebody? No. He stands opposed to those who come against her. And, and Yahweh says, this is, see, how have I loved you? Well, let me just give you one example uh, with, with Edom. So part of God's love looks like covenant faithfulness. But it also looks like eradicating evil. God is not going to allow evil to prevail, both from without, like evil to prevail from without or within. So when when people come, right, and they come against the people of God, he will bring judgment upon those who stand against what he's doing in the world to make the world a, a good place, right? He will bring judgment, right? He will eradicate evil in that way, but he'll also eradicate evil within, So what have we been saying regarding Edom and Israel? Is one wicked and the other like always does the right thing? No, that's not the difference between Jacob and Esau or between Israel and Edom. The difference is, is God has decided that he will take away the evil from within Israel. He's going to purify them. Right, so he, he sends Israel to Babylon, right? Not because he hates them, but because he's refining them. This is part of the refining, right? And then what he does later in Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, and we talked about this, is that the Messiah will come like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap, 
He will cleanse his people from within. Because guys, there's an Edomite inside of me. Big time. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't even want you to see what my thoughts could be about. or Like, there's an Edomite inside of me. And, and I need God to refine me. Right? That, that's my only hope. God didn't look down at, on Andrew and say, oh, yeah, that's going to be my son. He is so lovable. No, he, he just set his love on me and decided to refine me, to rebuild me from the inside out. And that's, that's the difference. Right? And see, the, this truth, right, and the reason why this all can happen is because of Jesus. On the cross, he was regarded as an enemy of God an enemy of the kingdom of God. Jesus was regarded as prideful, sinful Edomite. And he bore the wrath of God in our place so that now God's covenant love could come to all those who unite to Jesus by faith and that we could be changed from the inside out. Now, if you, if you let these truths kind of sink in, Right, and, and I admittedly, and maybe by the silence in the room, I can feel like these are not like modern day ways of talking about stuff, okay? But nevertheless, it's the truth. And if you let these truths sink into your heart, it protects you from a couple of things. One, it protects you against pride. It protects you against pride. You, you, because there's no difference between you and the Edomite other than God. God's grace. God's transforming power. That's the difference between you and the Edomite and nothing else. And God's the one who does it. So if you, you can't look down on, I don't care who. Right, well, this guy does this. Or that guy does this. Nope. Nope. All sinners, all Edomites, all needing God's redeeming grace. So this, this, this truth, if you let it sink in, it will inoculate you against pride. Right? And it will inoculate you against hatred and vengeance. Because vengeance is the Lord's. Right? He will be the one who defends his people. Now, God being a vengeful God, is, is that popular? It's, not, it's just not popular. Well, not in California. I mean, I'm from Texas. They love it there. <laughs> but here, no, it's like, but here's what happens to a society when we let go of the idea of God executing judgment. See, there inside of you, 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 justice is there. Like, it's just a part of you. You're made in the image of God. So if God's not going to make things right, then guess who makes things right? I do. I will make this right, right? And then now we've put justice into the hands of ourselves. How good are we at that? Terrible at it, right? And so this truth, we just get, we give it back to God. We, we hate evil. We hate evil outside and evil inside. God, we're a mess. I mean, just look at the world. We're a mess. Look at yourself. We're a mess. 
God, we need you to come in and change us from the inside out. Even in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 7, God tells the Israelites, do not abhor the Edomites. Don't hate the Edomites. Well, they came in and they looted our town and they... Don't hate the Edomites. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And I, I will be the one to make things right because I'm the only one able. Your 40, 50, 60 years of life on a tiny blue planet, you want to be the one who exercises justice on the world? Like you're not... You're not in a position to do that. But, but I will make things right. And, and you can trust me. So we've seen how God's love is declared by Yahweh. We've seen how it's disputed by his people. And then we see how God then defends his love. But I want to hear at the end talk a little bit about how God's love can be celebrated and will be celebrated eventually by his people. In verse 5 of our passage, it says, Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So God's people will look upon the deliverance of Yahweh. Now this phrase, your own eyes shall see this, is an echo from these different passages in Deuteronomy. Where God at different points reminds the children of Israel, look, remember when I delivered you from this enemy over here? Remember that. Or how about when I delivered you from this enemy over here? Remember that. All these different enemies I have delivered you from. And if you look at those passages, which are in your half sheet, you can look that up later. If you look at those passages, what you'll find is on the basis of these past deliverances, Yahweh says a couple of things. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Because God will prevail over evil in the end. He's going to eradicate evil from within you. He's going to eradicate evil in the world. And let him take care of it. And so remember God's deliverance. And, and we think about, okay, the same is true for us. What has God delivered you from? Because our, your main enemy is not your boss. It's not your spouse. It's not your coworker. Your main enemy is your own sin. The devil. Death. Are you able to conquer those things? No. But God can in Jesus. God provides the deliverance. Has he done that for you? Have you received Jesus? And if you have, that means the victory has been won. And so we we can look back at when God delivered us. Now, does God just deliver you that one time? No, he continues to be your Lord and Savior your whole life. He delivers us from stuff. right? Because we find ourselves in bad situations, right, that we put ourselves in. And God continues. He just continues to deliver. And so we look at back at these past deliverances. And on the basis of those past deliverances, we say, you know what? I'm not afraid. God is going to continue to deliver us. And we will see, as God people, we will see his deliverance. And we will see how his glory will shine over the whole world. You shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So Yahweh's reign extends beyond the borders of Israel. You have to understand. In the ancient Near East, 
It was like, okay, Yahweh's your God, our God's Marduk, your God's this, right? In America, your God's money, okay, your God's your career. You're Everybody has their own gods, but Yahweh's like, no, 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 I'm God. God over all of it. I'm God over all of it, and I am bringing, I am gathering to myself a people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Right? So this is, this is not about race or ethnicity in the end, right? It's about coming under the reign of Yahweh. In Revelation chapter 5, there are these four strange living creatures. There's these 24 elders that people argue over who, who are they. But they sing this song, right, regarding Jesus. They're around the throne room of, uh, in heaven. And they sing this song regarding Jesus, who is on the throne as the lamb who was slain. And these are some of the lyrics to the song, beginning in verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. You purchased a bride for yourself. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. What does verse 5 say? Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Right? Because this is what, how Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There's no longer any Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female. All are one in Jesus. So it's not finally about nationalities, ethnicities. And, and God leaves all these clues all, along the way in the Old Testament to let you know that that's true. Because not all Israel is Israel, right? Because not all of them have a circumcised heart that submits to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the same way, Amos 9 tells us that when Yahweh's plan extends right through the Messiah, it will include a remnant of Edom. So even not all Edom is Edom. Not all Edomites are Edomites. So he's bringing together a people from every tribe and nation. And I want to leave this with you guys. Your circumstances, as you look around, you look at your own life, you look at the circumstances around you, right? They may cause you to doubt God's love, but God is trustworthy. His love is worth celebrating. May God help us to trust him. And then the more we trust him, the more we will be able to receive God's love. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your covenant faithfulness to us. You will never leave or forsake us. You will never let us down. Father, help us to believe it because we barely believe it, God. Help us to believe and to trust you. Do this work by your spirit. Even now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.